All right. It is Monday, August 7th, 5.25 p.m. PST, and I am joined by Meredith Loftus, features writer for Collider and contributing writer for Marvelous Geeks, digital producer for Paramount. And today on this Scorsese series, we are talking the one and only and maybe what the most controversial movie ever made, and especially at 1980, I want to say it was eight when this movie released. Uh, I'm talking, of course, The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, and Meredith, I asked you to be my guest for this one. So uh, first off, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm really excited to talk this particular movie because I don't know how I'm going to talk this particular movie. Like this one's this one's a weird one for me. Like even in my prep for this movie, I'm just like, I don't really fully understand the angle I'm going to go at. So for me, this is a very open discussion. I mean, I would agree with that. Uh, coming into this, the, uh, there was a lot of thought involved. Um, even watching, the, I, I mean, we're going to get into it. There's a lot of thoughts, but there, it is a unique intersection as I, I am a Christian. I am a woman of faith. And I am also a film lover. So like when I see films kind of tackle this type of subject matter, it's always a, it always puts me in a unique position. So I'm looking forward to this, but like, I also was struggling with like, how, where, yeah, where do we, where do we do with this? Do you know, with this. And I'll even say for me, this was a really weird case of just kind of recording, like not mishaps necessarily, but scheduling wise where it's just like at this point i've already recorded the kundun and silence episode drew mcweeney and clayton j uh davis from variety joined me for those episodes and so like there was also this weird factor of like i'm talking the first time you know scorsese of this unofficial trilogy he's talking about his faith essentially in a really broad and very personal way so I had that also interesting relationship with this movie that I'd seen the other two first before I saw The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, typically, I always try to see a movie before I record a handful of times. Like I try to rewatch it, take notes. This one, I just like it was it was the timing of a lot of things. One, just I got sick. So there's like the logistical challenge of trying to record this episode. And two, I was out of town this weekend. I I if you could see my shirt, I was at Taylor Swift this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like I had the insane experience where within 24 hours, I watched The Last Temptation of Christ and then saw Taylor perform, which is just like, that's kind of the mindset that I have to just kind of set the audience up for in the sense that like I've had literally the lives and honesty of Paul Schrader and Taylor Swift like thrown at me in the past like 24 hours so like there is just so much uh emotion getting into the last temptation of Christ but uh Meredith and you already uh said it that that was one of the things that when I originally reached out to you I to be honest I was having trouble with the last temptation episode like this was a movie that I'm like even people who were like I want to talk about this movie there was just some like maybe not even nervousness but they're like you know what there's another one i'd prefer to do over last temptation so i had a few guests who were like you know back and forth and then they ultimately decided on other movies and then so when i reached out to you i was just like 
let's try to see if we can have as honest of of conversation as possible without getting to what's it called exposing ourselves too much on the internet i guess like for our own <laughs> safety like because that's obviously like a thing but it also was just like you know there was one thing uh which specifically brought up which is faith and you being a person of faith which is also just an interesting intersect that i had in my life so it was just like how do we approach a movie that for my whole life i've only understood this movie to be controversial uh, yeah. and that's where that's where i bring you in yeah exactly uh this is even though like there was never a stigma in my house like against this film or anything to be honest i didn't even know that scorsese had made this until you reached out to me so it was a very like wow how did i like miss this um mm. and i mean that goes into scorsese is a director that like i deeply respect um, but I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, it, he's not a director that I'm like, you know what? It's a Scorsese evening. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it has sure. to be very specific for me to uh, sit down and watch Martin Scorsese. So when you approached me about this, I was like, okay, this is a film I didn't know that he, that he tackled and you know, hearing that there was a controversy around it, like, does not surprise me. And I am coming into this conversation very humble. Like, I do not have the answers. I am not, like, I, I fully expect there to be Christians who have, who will disagree with things that I say about this film or, People who are like, yes, go off or whatever. I'm just like ready for whatever. But, you know, um, but that is, you know, we we can't engage with subject matter unless we sit down with it and talk about it and not just be like, well, this seems controversial, so I shouldn't talk about it, period. Like, otherwise, we just continue to create stigmas around it. So, um, yeah, yeah. And this movie in particular was like, you you kind of hit it. Like th there is going to be, and I'm not necessarily like going to claim like you'll get a backlash from this episode for me, like, or like any of my audience, like, uh, like I'm not going to claim I am that level of degree that people will even register or care about my thoughts on The Last Temptation. There is certainly though an element and it, it was kind of the same one that i was bringing into this movie of just uncertainty how did how to talk about this movie and also in talking about this movie how to understand this movie because this was a really complicated task that one i assigned you and that i assigned myself in this was just like you know like even some of his other films like silence like I love silence. I've seen mm -hmm. silence a handful of times. Like I've had years of thought into it with this one. I've just had so much, not even preconceived notions, but I've, you know, I know the history of this film. I studied Scorsese in college. Like I knew some of the controversy. I was a history major in college. Like I understood this era of filmmaking and the right wing conservatism that was going on in America to kind of reject this movie and so when we're going into the last temptation of christ i just like 
there was a level of just, I think you kind of put it best as humbling yourself, like getting into this movie where I was just like, not only do I have to drop any preconceived notions I have of this movie, I also just like have to accept the film as it is. And that Scorsese is who he is as a director. And he's going to make the film that he wants to make in it. And I just, before we really get into this conversation, Meredith, I did want to ask you, like, you know, you mentioned that you have a relationship with Scorsese, even if he's not like necessarily your go-to guy. Like I, I, any film fan has like some form of a relationship with Scorsese to some degree. Do you remember the first one of his that you watched? So I was really trying to rack my brain around this, like thinking when uh, I was introduced to Scorsese. If I'm honest, I was first introduced to Scorsese when he voiced a character in Shark Tale. Yeah. So mm. let's like, did not know legendary director is Puff Daddy in uh, Shark Tale. Yeah. But I think my first film of his, I... I think it's either Hugo or The Departed. It was one of those two um, in that like just the early 2010s that I distinctly remember watching like a Scorsese film. And I follow up question for you since like, or I should say when watching your this movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, because this is also a really, like I said, I've mentioned already, it's a weird one. This is also a weird one to just like load in. Like I loaded it into my 4K player. I have the Criterion Collection, like edition of this oh. movie. Like I really enjoyed this one. Like it looks beautiful on 4K, or I should say on Blu-ray. It's not released on 4K. It, one of the reasons it also took me forever to watch it is because it took me kind of a lot of, it's a two hour and 45 minute movie. Like it took something out of me to just be like, you know what, today I'm going to watch The Last Temptation. What was your viewing experience of this movie? Like getting ready for this? Like, well, do you watch it with your house? Or are, you, are you watching it alone? So I, Scorsese is not one to make a short film. So yeah. when I sit down to watch any of his films, it's basically like, I have to plan out the time got to be in the right mood to do it. So mm -hmm. I watched this. I watched The Last Temptation of Christ on Saturday evening. I gave myself enough time of like, I'm starting at like 6.30 and I'm just hitting play and we're doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I was watching it by myself, but not gonna say too much of my thoughts I was definitely reacting and my roommate had come around and I just had to sit and say I apologize for just what any type of noise I'm making right now because like sure. I'm watching this and it's already kind of like a weird experience to walk or to like start this film so I was having some audible reactions and I was you know She's used to it for me, unfortunately, so fine. But yeah, it was, yeah, I, I don't know if I would like get the friends together to be like, all right, movie night, we're watching The Last Temptation of Christ, you know? Yeah, I, I had the same issue because I was like, you know, is this like my girlfriend just got back in town after being out of town for a few weeks? Is this like one of the ones we load on together? And then I'm like, you know what? Like, let's just not do that. Like, I don't want to open that uh, can of worms tonight. 
first time seeing a movie in a few weeks, like back in America. And I'm just like, let's, let's power on Paul Schrader's uh, last temptation of Christ. Like that's not <laughs> like, that was not the energy. And she was also like sick coming back uh, from the country as was I. So I was just like, you know what? Like last temptation of Christ, I am going to be sick at home watching this on my couch. Cause I also had the other idea, you know, I was hanging out with my mom and I'm like, mom, you want power on last temptation of Christ. And she's like, yeah. And then I'm like, thought about it for like 20 more minutes. And I'm like, I really regret this decision. Can we like watch something else? Like, not that we turned on the movie. I'm just like thinking about it. I'm like, let's watch Cape Fear instead. Like, let's, let's do Cape Fear together. Like, I'm sure that's gonna be a little more fun for us, Uh, which ultimately I'm glad of. But so I put on this movie. uh, We're recording this again on a Monday. I think I turned it on probably about the same time you watched it, maybe about 24 hours before because obviously Saturday or not obviously but I'm at the concert Saturday so I'm probably yeah I think I watched it that Friday before and there was a I I had to give myself to this movie in a way that I wasn't necessarily prepared for because I just like I didn't know what I was getting into during the movie and I kept kind of having this thought of the movie was I'm just like this is kind of more normal than I thought it would be like for everything that I had heard about it. I was like, this is like a little bit more chill than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And th- so that's my experience watching it for the first, you know, few hours. And then the film goes ultimately Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese go full crazy kind of by the end of it in a way that I really enjoyed. Dude. But- oh man. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was definitely an experience. And I mean, it's funny, like you went from watching this and then going into Taylor Swift. I watched this and I'm going to see Taylor Swift tomorrow. So we were both having similar experiences of like big things happening or like different people's like influential people's messaging. Maybe the two most most people. Well, most important people to me in my life right now. Yeah. Probably Martin Scorsese, Taylor Swift, and Paul Schrader in his Facebook posts. Like those are like maybe that's my like three guys right now. Like there you go. So there was like a very much like going into this movie. Uh, but so I guess I should just ask you the straight up question is, did you enjoy this movie? Did you enjoy The Last Temptation of Christ? No. No. <laughs> No, I did it. And I felt so bad about it. Like, okay, is this the time where I can do my hot take? No, go for it. Go for it. Here's my hot take. Scorsese has been nominated nine times for best director. He did not deserve a directing nomination for this movie. I do not know what he was doing. It is, he is a great director. I have so much respect for him. I have so many questions about choices made in this and not just like, narratively what was happening but also like certain shots that were done casting I just I was thrown for a loop and I did not read who was in this cast when I got started Mm. so I was really thrown when I saw Willem Dafoe and David Bowie's Pontius Pilate like what what is happening right now it was such it was a trip to watch this and unfortunately I didn't walk away feeling like oh that was a a good time i was like i can't get those hours back man Mm -hmm. sure i you know i have a 
I had a complicated uh, relationship watching this movie as well. Just more in the fact, not because ultimately I'll kind of like lay my cards on the table. I did quite enjoy this movie. Like there was a lot for me that I found really emotionally powerful for this movie. I felt like I, I felt like I understood Scorsese better by the end of this movie and what he is aiming for. It's also a really taxing movie and one that does not let up in any way and not let up in like a physical way, like a physical, like this is just like so grotesque to watch. Like, that's not what I mean. Like it's more of the, there's no easy shortcuts in this movie. This film never gives easy answers in most of its like runtime it's actually kind of confused what it's trying to say. Like, and I think that's by design, like it is truly, at least to me when I'm watching this movie, I'm sitting there and I am thinking like this, like Scorsese is someone who is clearly at this moment wrestling with something and he's getting it out. And it's, to me, I find that kind of art interesting, but it's also can be like, if I'm not on that wavelength, it's hard for me to get in line with that. Like, it's hard for me to sit there and I'm like, man, I get this. Like, so ultimately I'm having this relationship where the same way like Scorsese's wrestling in this movie, I'm wrestling with Scorsese in this movie. Yeah. And the thing is like, I've seen him do this before in the past. Like, and you mentioned silence. I think silence is an excellent film of his that dives a lot into what we're talking about here with wrestling with faith. And I think he, you see that in uh, Mean Streets as well with Harvey Keitel's character. Like he always has characters who kind of wrestle with morality and uh, what with like faith and profane. Like he he has that duality in his films. And I really admire that about him, that he's unafraid to have like these characters who are very like complicated and do have that like struggle of what like what does it mean to be failing words here. I really appreciate how you he has these characters who um, there is that like code within them but then they either like get into more of like the sensational world of like the mob or whatever Mm. whereas with this and here's where I have like I understand to a degree what Scorsese was trying to do with the last temptation of Christ because if the Bible is to be believed, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And something that doesn't get explored is uh, Jesus's humanity. You know, if if it says like he struggled with every single temptation that humanity has, but yet did not sin, like, and that is what he's exploring here. I understand him doing that. And I like that you know, from the opening crawl, I was like, okay, I'm putting, I'm putting all of this down on the side. Like I can understand the messaging that you're trying to do here. And I think that he, like you brought up, like he was, he was at a period of his life where he called himself a lap, a lapsed Catholic, you know, like yeah. he was struggling a lot with his own faith. And I really admire when an artist or a filmmaker 
is able to explore and challenge that. So I do respect him for it. This movie is really long. It makes a lot of choices that I was like, like from the beginning. Sure. I love no, Sorry, what was that? <laughs> no, I'm just like, oh boy, let's get into this. I don't like the idea that Martin Scorsese is continuing this narrative of having Jesus portrayed by this blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. Okay, like right off the bat, seeing Willem Dafoe just like really threw me for a loop. Mm. Um, I understand it's Hollywood. They always have that problem anyways, but I know like the Western American church likes to push that narrative that Jesus was like this blonde haired, blue eyed man. No, he was a brown skinned man from the Middle East. Okay, like I appreciate that they filmed on location in Morocco. I thought that was really great, but like having Willem Dafoe play Jesus was very interesting and he's a great actor I love Willem Dafoe but I was so thrown by it it kind of it was hard for me to initially get into uh his depiction of Jesus what did you think of that actually it's like an actual like big swing of the movie because that is also like right at the beginning and this is of course 1988 versus 2023 what that means, what that is. And I was trying to think of it as, was this just the case of insensitive casting or does Scorsese, is Scorsese trying to do something with this casting? And that's where I was kind of at a loss. Uh, And I was trying to look at the history of who was previously cast because, you know, this has been a script that had been in work since the 70s uh, up until 1988, like when it finally gets released. And there is this complication of obviously like as you say like this is a very whitewashed uh portrayal of the entire like not just like christ himself in this movie as portrayed by willem dafoe but everyone from david bowie to uh uh harvey keitel in the role of judas like, oh my gosh harvey keitel in that red-headed wig i was like it's a bad way you're not, you're, you're not fooling me man yeah, no, it's a really bad wig. But like the point that like not the point that I like arrived on, but it, it was something that I found so interesting. And maybe I should add some context to, to you and to the listeners. I had watched Kundun uh, recently right before watching that, which is his 19. I want to say it's 97, like exploration of who the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. is in his exile from Tibet. And like that film, like, you know, takes really precious care of Tibet, the culture, like trying to cast correctly. What's so interesting, Last Temptation, like does the exact opposite. It's like, what if this? It's so such a strong choice, like even to the point that they all have New York accents when they talk. Like, yeah, he like talks about like they're supposed to be like, you know, he imagined the apostles as wise guys. So they talk like, you know, some New York wise guys to him. Which I can understand that, like, I'm kind of interested if he had made Last Temptation of Christ, but literally said it in, like, 80s New York, you know? Yeah. I feel like there is a level of relatability that I think he's trying to achieve there, but because it's just not fitting the scene at all. And we've seen him take so much, so much better care of how he yeah, crafts 
films before. Like, so for this, it does, it's something that like really threw me out. Uh, there was a lot of moments where I was like, I need to get back into this because I'm, you're, you're getting me out of this too much, man. I need to focus in on what you're trying to do here. I think you like kind of hit the idea of like this, like if this was almost set in like modern day New York with like that, like how does that movie change? And that's, that was kind of what got me not necessarily through the casting. Cause I do think Defoe gives quite an exceptional performance in this movie, but like where I finally like landed on it and why I was, I actually ended up like liking what they do with it. It's just, it, it made it really puts Scorsese in the movie for me where I'm like, oh, this is kind of like not even like a historically accurate impression of what we're supposed to be understanding. Like in casting Willem Dafoe, you literally feel like Scorsese is like almost like existing in this world with all of them. And it's again, this could be the context of me just trying to find reasoning for something that like, I'm like, okay, in 2023, like, with my sensibilities, like with generally how the world has progressed since 1988, this doesn't get made with this type of decision in it. And I don't think Scorsese would follow that up. In 1988, I understand why him seeing a guy like Willem Dafoe struggling and looking like Scorsese, I understand intellectually why that is there, even if the choice itself becomes a little bizarre. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I think that's what I'm aiming at. Yes, I would. I agree. And I, but the thing is how much we want to be able to like find the meaning and understanding as to why he made the choices that he does. But to some extent, if we have to bend over backwards so much to mm. try and find that reasoning, like how much of that message was not communicated then, you know? And so mm. that's where I also like find that struggle of like, I can hear that and like say, you know, he was already making such a, a film that it was going to cost her a lot of controversy, you know, and I don't think this film was meant to please all people because I don't think any film can, but I don't know, like there is a degree of like, I wish there was smarter casting not to take away from Willem Dafoe. I think he does a really good job, honestly, of handling the, the tension and really showing off like the messiah's side of humanity of really questioning and doubting different sides of himself which is like something we don't talk about we know that like or at least you know jesus christ jesus had friends you know like there is like other parts of him that it's not just like his divinity but there's also something very like he really taps into that. And I'm very impressed with that. At the same sense, Scorsese, you could have hired a, uh, you could have casted a, a brown-skinned man to play Jesus. And he already had the clout at that time, I think, to kind of 
be a bit better with his casting decisions. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like, I and I think I'm, I'm also trying to, because, you know, Scorsese just announced a, right, a few weeks ago, I think is that he announced that he's like doing another Jesus biopic, essentially. Like that will be his really? next post Killers of the Flower Moon. Like he met with the Pope. Uh, he announced it then. And so like there is even like that was also like context I brought into the movie where I'm just like even like Scorsese himself, the director of this movie, doesn't seem satisfied with everything he had to say on it. Mm -hmm. And that that was a that was another aspect of this movie when I'm watching it. Like that was also something playing into my head of the interest of this where I'm just like, oh, this is somebody not doing this tidily. And this is someone who I feel like you can look at it and you're like, oh, I understand why maybe Scorsese doesn't love what he does here or, or there. It's, you're, you're totally correct in everything uh, that you've said. Like, there is a level of discomfort of that in this movie where it is just like, because the other part of this movie is it's so stylistically set, like wonderfully, like the production design of this movie does feel like what is supposed to be like 30 AD. Like that they do a really great job of transporting you to that part of the world. It's then just everyone talks like Harvey Keitel. Like Harvey Keitel is, and probably thankfully he's not putting on an accent or anything like that, but it is such a strong New York dialect. Yeah, it is so, as soon as he walked on and like, just the first words out of your his mouth it's like whoa it is he's he is just being I wouldn't say himself but he is rolling onto set like here we go new, yeah, like new, I was just it, yeah as a crazy redhead um no I agree I liked the production design a lot I think that he did a great job of, you know, trying to be as accurate as possible with like location. And even I'll say like, you know, showing like the depictions of the brothel and uh, at the Jordan River, you know, and I appreciate, you know, the fact that like, he wasn't sanitizing those kind of environments because, you know, mm -hmm. like that is, what happened and that's what those environments were like and you know like Jesus spent time with sinners he like he befriended prostitutes and tax collectors and all of these people who were seen as like outside people like people outside of Jewish society at the time so I really liked the way that like he he never sanitized that stuff and he yeah, the production design was really great. The costuming work was good too. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And the, the I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a particularly great music guy, so I don't have any great insight on this. The score is incredible. Like yeah. this score is such a really emotionally powerful uh, score. The I'm, I'm I'm almost trying to like not delay, but like there is an inevitability of us where we have to kind of breakdown plot details I know. and it's just like it's it's probably the most important part of this conversation i also like want to keep it a little easier and like kind of ease our way into specific aspects of this movie what i will say is 
right off the bat, the Keitel casting as Judas, uh, I, this, you know, I, I was kind of reading about the history of this and take these awards as you will, like this film gets nominated for a Razzie for best supporting actor for Harvey Keitel. I, I do think that's a little ridiculous. Like I actually think the performance in here is extremely challenging at times extremely messy but at the very least committed like fully committed like fully i feel like the performance is fully realized even if there's just so much factors approaching the movie to it i i saw that he was nominated for a razzie and i chuckled at that i think he he's certainly not the best actor in this movie i will say Barbara Hershey is great in it as Mary Magdalene, Harvey Keitel. If there was going to be an aspect of this movie to get a Razzie, you're fine. I, with I don't. I'm fine with that. I don't. I don't disagree with their assessment there. Like I said, that's a totally fair take to have on it. I there was a for me at least with the Keitel performance as I'm like. There is such a challenging aspect of literally even like, you know, remove my own faith from it, but just like it's Judas, like he's probably one of the most like he is the quintessential betrayer of yes. like all story beats, like all story beats that have the betrayal, you know, like we use the term is a Judas, like, yeah, so like there is a level of humanity that this performance is given that I was kind of impressed that he was able to muster up as specifically as the third act uh, goes along. It's just that to me, what I'm guessing, what I'm trying to say is I think Willem Dafoe does a really great performance in this movie. Like I really like what is keeping the movie grounded in any sort of the word is Willem Dafoe at the front front and center of the screen where he is just asked to kind of bear bear and sorry for the terrible terrible pun but bear the cross of Scorsese's and Paul Schrader's vision of this movie where it's just like they're going for everything in this movie mm -hmm. and Defoe is asked to then do everything in this and he actually for being such a young actor in 1988 like you know like he's certainly not the professional that we now know him to be this is a much younger fresher like i think i don't know if this is his debut performance i'm pretty sure it's not but it is definitely one of his earliest and probably his first noteworthy performance that he gives in the career well uh, i mean if you play jesus it's gonna it's gonna pop up on the headline somewhere you know so exactly um yeah i mean and I guess this could be our avenue of how we get into the plot, but I wasn't sold on Kaitel necessarily as him as Judas. What I was interested by was his relationship to Jesus, because like you said, like he is so uh, attached to uh, his part in Jesus's arrest and eventual crucifixion. And we miss out on the relationship that was there for three years you know like he was part of the 12 like he did day-to-day -day life with Jesus and so to have that relationship of the 12 be 
on display. And this was very interesting. It was, I thought it was a good choice because that is something that doesn't necessarily get, that is often thrown to the side. Like we talk about Judas and his betrayal and, you know, getting him arrested for, you know, pieces of silver, but we don't talk about the fact that there was, that was like a betrayal. That was a friendship. That was a loss, you know, and like what, how close he was to him through that. So yeah, kind of talking in circles at this point. No, I totally, I, that to me, that's why I just wouldn't personally, that's why I wouldn't nominate the Harvey Keitel performance just because I'm like, there is such a challenge to doing what he's doing in this. But I guess let's like, kind of like, let's focus in on the movie itself which <laughs> I think I think there were two ways that I came into this movie and I framed it myself the first being was someone had described this movie to me is you kind of have to understand this whole movie as a what if like what if this happened and that one really did give me context going into the movie like what I was like on board for and then two just knowing who Paul Schrader is like that is such a I I'm trying to think at this point uh, as of August whatever day it is beginning of August I actually haven't talked about Paul Schrader yet in this podcast series just because at this moment I haven't recorded the taxi driver uh, I haven't recorded raging bull I haven't recorded mm-hmm. bring me bringing out the dead like I haven't focused on Schrader yet and his relationship uh with uh oh my god martin scorsese and that's been one that i've been reading a lot about and mm-hmm. in reading about this in reading who paul schrader is you know he's this guy who when he writes taxi driver he's like this guy 20 years old uh always wearing like his army vest like walking around he's he is kind of travis bickle to a degree personified if extremely less dangerous than Travis Bickle ends up being in Taxi Driver, but he certainly has a similar outlook in the world. He's also one of these guys that if I'm correct, I want to say he's a Latter-day Saint uh, who fell who who fell out of his religions mm-hmm. when he went off at like age 18, 20. So there's this is also another guy who's bearing the scars of religious turmoil. Yeah. And so getting into this movie to just kind of start this movie, like this movie does make it very clear. Like this is going to be the type of movie. Do not take this movie to be gospel is essentially what the movie presents itself is. It is quite literally the alternative history, almost to a degree uh, of the book of the gospels. And it's based on this book called the last temptation of Christ. Like this is just context for kind of the viewers at home like this is based on a work and essentially what this movie for anyone who does not know which if you're listening to this podcast this podcast must sound deranged if you've never watched this movie but this the last temptation of christ follows jesus christ right before he is uh about to be crucified or is being crucified it follows him in that moment and it also does cover the kind of big narrative biography that is uh christ's life as man it follows his uh him gaining his disciples him resurrecting lazarus him going to the prostitute at the well him going into the desert and uh uh receiving temptation from satan 
and then ends with uh, the the crucifixion and not only the crucifixion, the reason this movie is called The Last Temptation of Christ is the last hour of this movie is essentially a hallucination of Christ imagining what it would be like to be fully human and indulging in this. Uh, and in this all, just, and Meredith, I'll jump back to you, but in this all, I'm just trying to give context. In this, Christ is extremely struggling in this movie. This is not a messiah in the typical sense of the word. Like he is not somebody that has all the answers. He is not somebody that he is knowing. I think the inspiration of Scorsese's portrayal of this and Defoe's portrayal is they look at one of the lines written in scripture, which is essentially Christ, the prayer that he gives to God right before he's crucified, which is essentially I will bear this cross, but if I don't have to bear this uh, cross, please don't let me. Like that is kind of, and again, misquoted that, uh, but that's the general, uh, uh, that's the general idea of that quote. That is what Scorsese is interested in. It's just like, what if Jesus like didn't want to die on the cross? Like, what if he wanted to live human? Like, what does that look like? And that's the avenue of which he explores this movie. Uh, Sorry for that long explanation. It is all good because it's, well, it's a long explanation because it's a long movie and there's just a lot that's covered in this. And so from the opening crawl alone, like with the quote from the book that this is adapted from and saying like, this is not based fully on the gospels, like this is fictionalized, like that was my sign of like, hey, you know, everything I'm about to see is fictional. Like you got to like leave stuff at the door. And I, Mm. you know, just to interpret this film as it is. But because I, you know, have faith and like, I am a Christian, there were certain decisions that like, it was really interesting. It's just like the calmest way I can say it. And I don't like hate this movie by any means. I have great respect for what he was trying to do. It was just really interesting the way by which they, as they were glossing over a lot of Jesus's life and kind of made different decisions. And yeah, this Jesus is very insecure. He is questioning everything. He lives with a lot of doubt of like, I don't even know what I'm doing, which is very relatable and human. I struggle with the fact that he came out of the desert from his like 40 days, 40 nights in the desert with an ax. Like some creative decisions were made as far as like what would be kind of the focus of his ministry and he Jesus was definitely a revolutionary in a, in a major sense but some of the decisions of like he became more of what the zealots were looking for as far as mm. being like someone to overthrow Rome which was that became like he came out of the desert like we're ready to flip tables everywhere. We're flipping, we're flipping the Roman government. You know, I was like, okay, hold on, time out. Yeah. That felt like such a big, not that like, again, putting stuff at the door, but also 
internally struggling like wait a second love just turned into the axe where 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 how are we still getting to the cross from here what's happening you know mm -hmm. this movie definitely the interesting question i had about this movie is obviously you and i like we we've grown or at least been raised slash have read the bible uh, and in some way ingrained slash part of us which is also what scorsese is exploring in this movie scorsese is and his whole filmography is very much the idea of a guy who just can't escape the fact that for the first 18 years of his life he was somebody practicing so heavily like there is so much of that in this movie the question i had was while watching this movie I'm like, is this movie incomprehensible if you do not know who Christ is? Like, and I don't mean like on a personal level. I mean, like, if you just don't know the story of Christ, what he did, what he, you know, kind of brought his fame in this uh, time period. You know, if you don't know that he resurrects Lazarus, as the Bible states, like all these little points and like does this movie like explain enough of what is happening? And yeah, and talking about Lazarus too, like, you know, we're talking about Jesus's humanity as being explored in this movie. Why didn't we see him grieve over Lazarus? One of the biggest, one of the shortest uh, verse in the Bible is Jesus wept yeah. after he died. That is something very human and raw that his first meeting with Lazarus was when he was raising him. I'm like, we just... If we're going to be here for two hours and 45 minutes, why didn't we have this a relationship kind of like established? Like he was their friend or he was his friend and, you know, also related to Mary and Martha, which we got to talk about that ending too. Cause yeah, of course the alternative, like just remind me, put a pin in that, but sure. yeah. <laughs> The aspect of this movie that I think that I struggled the most with while watching this movie is I was more interested in the idea of a what if than the equivalent of we're going to do 30 years of Jesus or really it's probably more focused on the three years of him yeah. rising from kind of like, you know, from no fame to becoming the Messiah and dying mm -hmm. on the cross like that three years where he's really active uh in Rome but like while watching this movie what I kept finding myself thinking was I'm like this is almost a biography that's almost too standard at times in the sense of like this is just hitting the beats of Jesus's life and yeah. it's the it's the tricky thing of Scorsese and Schrader having to strike a balance and I I think I understand why it's in the movie like you have to give a context to what essentially becomes the uh, crucifixion. But in the same point, like this movie is two hours and the really the meat of this movie is in the final hour of the last temptation, like essentially, like you have to get there. And I understand like there is a certain epicness to this and telling this story, that, that aspect of it, for me, the first two hours of this movie was when the film is at its most traditional, not necessarily in its, adaptation of the bible necessarily but yeah. most traditional in it's just this is how we tell biography stories like this is a very not redundant by any words but this is a very point a point b point c like type of biography yeah and and i think that was where i was like if we're gonna take the time to do this what if and really look at you know 
I keep saying Jesus humanity over and over again, because that is what this film is trying to do is like explore this and explore the wrestling side of what it is to be human and to be faced with this and for Jesus to kind of grapple with that. And so it's interesting how we, we speed up through a lot of things when those could have been moments, I think that we could have lingered on a bit longer and then other places where like, we're on it a little too long and I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta move. Um, Like for instance, I wish we would have spent more time in the desert uh, when Jesus was being tempted. He also was in the desert briefly and was chatting with like this one uh, priest or or not even priest, but um, like religious leader. And he's just kind of like there. We don't even really know why he is out there, but they go into this really unique conversation, which I thought was like really good, but it was very like, we're dropping you in here. You're not really sure who these people are. And you're like, he was led here by a dead man who was already dead. And then he's there for a night. And then he's been told you got to go. So we speed through that. And then we get to his tempting in the desert. And here's my bone. To, here's one of my bones to pick with this movie. I'm sure. sorry. I sound really sporadic here, but uh he has satan appears to jesus as a cobra multiple times in this film which very you know apt metaphor in the bible and the fall of man great stuff i'm really interested why in the desert the cobra's satan's voice was a woman this time that's where i was like you're making a very conscious decision to have a woman be your tempter right now. What is this saying and what is this communicating? And I feel like it was intended to kind of lean into his internal like desire for Mary Magdalene and just women and sexuality in general mm-hmm. but it does paint the picture that women are just like temptresses to him of course and so that was like something that really I was really surprised I was like rubbed the wrong way by in watching that and then especially that kind of being further followed up in that last hour when the, the true what if like we're we are branching out uh from this nexus point moment mm. you know because it was a female angel that led him out to his here you are going to live out as a man and so there's something in there that I wish I really wish he didn't make that decision but I can also equally understand why Scorsese would want to do that too so there's just like tension there of like okay I can understand that artistically but that's also continuing a narrative about women and like the women that are shown in this film like are not really treated well 
in oh, any yeah, sense. No, I, so. I totally agree. Like there is that aspect of that movie in this and specifically and like I the serpent decision is a very specific decision and like I I think Scorsese would probably follow that up along with the response of just like that was kind of the culture of the church like specifically the Catholic church which I don't think is a good answer necessarily to it the the funny thing is I had actually a completely different read on oh. that scene and to me it was mommy issues like which I don't even know if I love that but like there is certainly like this whole movie is somebody who just is struggling with his own relationship with his mother because of who his father is by definition like his father is this extra extraordinary obviously like person in the fact that he's god yeah and his mother's mary which is it's the stupid like and maybe this is comic book brain like rotting my head but like obviously and it's something that is like written you know in the bible as well but like Mary is the mother's name. And then in this movie, Mary is also ends up being the lover that Jesus takes in this movie. Like not there is once, something there. not once, but twice, twice Mary was his lover. And exactly. the way that we only see his mother, Mary, just like one scene when she's like reaching out to him, like, hey, you should come home. And he's like, who which is also paraphrasing from the bible like who is my mother who are my siblings these are these are my siblings you know um which in that culture like you respect your parents like honor your parents that way so like if she said to go you would go but yeah the women in this uh in jesus's life in this film they are just like very yeah they're all named mary except for martha but she's just chilling there and they're all like used by jesus in some way and like yeah it's a very when i was watching it i had the adipocal complex of what is that and that's the interpretation of that snake scene to me feels a lot more Freudian I guess almost for lack of a better word so that's how like I and again that's like it's a decision in this movie that not necessarily puzzled me because I think I understood what it was trying to say but it is certainly a very I found it a crass I guess uh in nature like to a degree where I was just watching and I'm like I get it and this is like kind of the it's it's so hard for me sometimes and I had this experience earlier this year watching the film Bo is Afraid mm-hmm. where it's like I get it like I get what you're trying to do and I get how this is probably therapeutic for you I just don't necessarily want to be here for your therapy like yeah. that was kind of how I was going into this where and again like this is someone for me like I I did end up liking this movie quite a bit but even like moments like that where I'm just like I like I there's that point of me where I'm like I, I do I want this like do I want to know this about you type thing yeah. and ultimately I do find it rewarding to know that about him but it is certainly while watching I'm like okay like is is this what we're doing like that was the relationship that I had with aspects of this movie yeah it yeah it was just 
just interesting. I, I hate that I'm I'm reusing words over and over again. Oh. I promise I have a richer vocabulary than this, <laughs> but like it's it's so hard to try because you want to be as objective as possible. You want to be able to talk about this in a way that is like, you know, intellectual and but then you also are a person reacting to a movie too. And sometimes you can understand a message and it hits you and you you end up liking it in your sense. Mm. Um, and then for me, which I try and be very positive when I watch movies because they're it takes so much effort to make a movie. Yeah. There is so much involved. So I will never sit and say like a movie was pointless or it was trash or something because there's a lot of talented people involved to get together and to put something on a screen. Like it's insane. The amount of hoops that people go through to just make movies, which we're seeing this right now as all the strikes are happening. Yeah. But you can have that, but then you can also be like, yeah, but I still didn't like connect with this the way that I think I was meant to. And sure. And I think it really came into it in that last hour when, spoilers, Jesus, uh, uh, as he's hanging on the cross, it's like, no, uh, an angel comes in and he's like, you're not the Messiah. You don't have to do this. Come down with me and you are going to live, you're going to live a human life and yeah. you're going to get with Mary Magdalene and then guess what? She's going to die. And which that was the biggest like WTF, like what does that even mean? Um, mm. Or not like, what does it mean? It's like, well, what was the point of, what are you trying to say that he could finally be with like, it sounded like Mary Magdalene was like part of his childhood. They've known each other for years, but they finally get together and then she dies. And then he rebounds with Mary, sister of Lazarus. And you're just like, mm. In a span of minutes, you're just like, what is happening right now? There is certainly a fast and furious element. And I don't mean like the franchise, but I just mean like the pacing of this, where it is just like 45 minutes final to the movie. We're getting what this movie is essentially like kind of all leading up to. And this for at least for me, this is the part of the movie that kind of not redeems this movie because overall I am enjoying this movie while watching it. This is the movie where I did feel. This essentially, this is where I felt something in this movie where I was actually drawn to the ideas that are being played, like the emotional, the visual image, I think, of Christ being led down from the cross is a really powerfully filmed moment in uh, Scorsese's filmography. Like there are elements of this that I'm like, I'm kind of just like wrapped up in. Like there is certainly a and I think this is also where the Defoe performance comes to like, just, I think ahead where I'm just like, Oh my God, this guy's like just acting circles around everybody on screen right now. Mm -hmm. I think uh, he and Mary have incredible like scenes in it. I, I, what I was like focused so on is. It, and I think it's the point that I was like, maybe even trying to allude to, but I didn't know how to put to words earlier is like there is this element of this movie where it finally hit me where I'm like, and I you kind of hit on this point too inadvertently, uh, but like there is an emotional thing with this movie, right? Like, and 
there's also an intellectual part of this movie. Like Schrader is approaching this as a kind of what if scenario. And Scorsese is approaching this with full heart. Like there is a sincerity to what Scorsese is doing, which is in complete juxtaposition to whatever Schrader's like writing in it. And that's where this movie for me, at least like I felt rewarded, but at the same time, I 1 million percent understand why someone would watch this and not feel rewarded at all. Like it has to, and it's the issue of whenever you're trying to be as honest and open with yourself, like some people who are going through either something similar in their lives right now will grapple and hold on to that and find truth in it. And then there's other people, you know, and that's not to say that this is what you are by any means, but it's more of just like, there is a, I, I get it, but like, what are you showing me like to a degree? And that's like, again, that's not saying that's the reaction you had necessarily, but it is saying like, I, I should at least say like, there was an emotional, like, I get it. Cause I've had these questions and I feel like this is someone hitting a personified, finding a personified truth to a question that I've had myself. Yeah. And I can totally like understand that, you know, like that's what film does it's this medium that like filmmakers are telling these stories and you know if you are lucky enough to make something really personal or be able to tap into themes that are very personal to you then it can be really rewarding to not only bring that to screen and be very cathartic but having somebody in the audience also relate to that so with that like I can sympathize but I wasn't like there with him. It should be like, this was, I was, I was moved by this. I was more brought to a place of just questions and just Mm. questions that I honestly, if I could ever talk with Martin Scorsese, I probably would just like pick his brain for 30 minutes about this film, because I just want to understand, like, I want to understand more because of that last hour like I want to know why the decisions were made about the women in Jesus's life I really want to understand uh what he was getting at with um the scene with Paul evangelizing even though like Jesus wasn't like there you know he was still Mm -hmm. like evangelizing some gospel which I think is good because I do or I found it very interesting. I wish that would have been more of the film. Like, I wish that last hour was more ingrained throughout. Like we had that alternative timeline more because it felt like we just pushed through so much that I'm like, no, these are the, if you're going to do a what if, I want to sit in the what if for a little bit longer. You know, I don't want to get to his Mm -hmm. like deathbed by like, it felt like within 15 minutes, like, why is he just ready to die? And all of his former disciples are around him, like berating him. Like, I, mm-hmm. I just want to like pick his brain over that. And those moments is why the film didn't land for me because we rushed through it. If you were going to deliver on the promise, I wanted more. No, I, like I said, I totally think you're like, hitting like a fundamental truth with this movie which is just like at at least maybe i should say a fundamental truth that i'm having with this movie too is like i wanted more of that like i wanted this more explored in this movie like 
the part of it that wrapped me and ultimately why I give this film a positive review is simply because I was so enamored in this final like 45 minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. that like the first two hours, well, again, I think they're good and have some, not some, like a lot of merit to them. It's all in service of a final third act to me, which is, uh, again, one that I found really rewarding. So like there is a, that is the element of which I'm looking at this movie. And it's also, like I said, like whenever you make something so personal and this is i this is always what i try to get us around with in my film criticism the more personal you make a movie the more it's going to alienate people and it also usually means that the people who are feeling that same way are going to kind of cherish it and care for it more oh like, yeah almost like not not defend it necessarily because i can't see the flaws in this movie certainly but, but you're going to protect like, it a bit more. Like, yeah. I, I do that with all of my favorite movies all the time. What are you talking it's, about? It's kind of like, like validating, right? Like, you feel this and you're like, if like if that criticism is real, does that valid, invalidate what I feel? Yeah. Like, there is like, there is certainly an emotion to that where I'm watching this movie and I am certainly like, th- there's just something it's hitting. It's like scratching like some sort of itch that I don't even fully you know, have been able to ever put to words. Yeah. And like, so that's profound to me when I'm watching this movie. And like, I, you know, I've had it and it's the, I brought up the example of Bo is Afraid who, you know, I was talking to somebody who I saw the movie at the same screener at. And that was like a movie where I'm just like, I walked out of the movie. I'm like, this was three hours of my life. I will never get back. (laughs) Like, just will never get back. And, you know, I'm talking to this other person and they're like, I thought that like was profoundly moving. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's kind of like, it's, it's again, the, it's the double-edged sword. You can make something so personal, but the people who find it really personal are going to gravitate towards it. And then the people who don't are going to probably struggle a little bit more. And yeah. I think that's kind of the best way to not necessarily approach the last temptation, but it is certainly, I've heard the term vibe check movie. <laughs> it, and it kind of is like that to a degree. Jesus and vibe check, you know, mm. what, what a, what a sentence. I like it. Yeah. Because like this film ends in a very specific way. Like there's yes. everything that this movie does is a very much a choice. Uh, and again, it's, and, and I guess there's no reason for me not to spoil it because I guess this is one like a movie that I've already spoiled a ton of, but it's also like I also have like to. I'm most... so sorry. No, you're totally fine. <laughs> I haven't. I wasn't trying not to spoil this movie, uh, but like also like the reason that I can spoil this movie without any like shame is just like it's the most probably most iconic moment of like history is this idea of Jesus dying on a cross. Mm-hmm. Like that is kind of the fundamental understanding of Western and uh, really just world civilization is this idea of someone being named Jesus dying on the cross. And if you believe in uh, that faith that he then rose from the cross, uh, that he was the son of God, like this movie does enact that scene. And you alluded it to it earlier. Like there's the scene right before where Jesus has finally made it to old age and all his, uh, all of his disciples are kind of, uh, scolding him, essentially saying something along the lines of like, you know, there's this talk that 
Judas and Jesus have earlier in the movie, which was actually one of my more like tender favorite scenes in it between them where Jesus is telling Judas, like your job is the easy one. Like all you have to do is betray me. Like I have to do the hard stuff now. Like kind of like, that's the kind of the conversation they're having. Or actually, it might be the other way. I might have that conversation wrong. I actually think he's saying, like, I think Jesus is saying all he has to do is die and Judas has to betray a friend. I yeah. think that's the actual meaning of that conversation. I'm sorry for misquoting that. But it then comes all kind of back together where Judas is then, you know, berating Jesus for taking this decision not to die. And then we get to the iconic cross sequence of this movie, which, mm-hmm. they, again, it's when I always say specific choice in this movie It's like even the choice of changing the line from it is finished Mm -hmm. to it is accomplished is just, you know, it's a very specific way of saying essentially the same thing. And, you know, this camera and I I can't believe this. This is actually crazy because I did think it was an artistic decision that paid off. But I don't know if you read about this. The essentially there was too much sun exposure that hits the camera in that scene so when it all goes red and the different colors hits that's yeah. completely accidental oh that, that's not an artistic decision that ends it up was being like a something fluke that day yeah the lights hit it scorsese saw it when they you know look back at it and they're like he actually was like actually really like that's how like you know this is jesus dying like i i to be honest, I actually do. I, you know, Scorsese is called that kind of divine that that was just always supposed to be the ending to the movie. And it is a way that I just don't see this movie ending in other fashion than that ending. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought the shot of him after, you know, it was all like in his head of like, I guess that last hour of him uh before he dies while he's on the cross like going back to that and being like i passed the last test i'm the messiah it is accomplished like that could have i was like okay that's the ending but it was a little jarring to be like now here's some red flashing accent uh action you're like oh my gosh this is supposed to be like a drug trip what are we doing and then the direct uh Scorsese's name pops up. I'm like, all right, that's it. Yeah. Great. Um, I did have a question for you because you do enjoy this film more than I do. What did you think of some of like, I think the camera shots, uh, like the cinematography of the movie? This is such the cheap answer to it, but it is kind of my answer. I never notice good camera slash cinematography shots like it's just like it's just kind of not necessarily how I was like raised to watch movies but like there's certain elements of movies that I pay more attention to which is typically script performances like that's always what I've related to a little bit more Mm -hmm. so like there are certain very specific camera shots in this movie there is certain cinematography like I have studied film like, so there are things that I recognize. I I just have a trouble defining. It's I almost have like a relationship with cinematography where it either has to blow me away or I have to be super 
turned off by the cinematography to notice. If it's something that I would call generally really good, which I think is probably how I classify the cinematography to camera work in it, like I don't, I didn't notice it essentially, which is typically a good thing for me. But that's again, just, this is me being someone who, as much as I say I've studied film, the below the lines aspects of it, I'm still learning quite a lot about. So, you know, I don't know camera shots. I don't know cinematography like that well. That's a fair answer. Um, so to me, like I did notice some shots that yeah. I was kind of like really thrown by. And so not that I think this movie should have been shot very statically. I think there are some really good, like visually, like the, I like the fact that this movie started that Jesus was a carpenter and he was literally building crosses and like that mm. would later be his fate. I thought that was really to show that visually was very interesting and unique but I did not connect well to some of these like intense close-ups that we got on some of the characters like I didn't feel the need to get close to their face in order to feel turmoil with them I'm already seeing it as Willem Dafoe is rolling around like in pain mm. or if he's pulling out his heart you know um so there were just like a few shots that like some decisions in cinematography where I was like that's an artistic choice that felt a little dramatic like uh, some quick pans over and uh even some like uh drop focus shots that I'm like I don't know if this was necessary here but it wasn't all bad but there were certain decisions made that I'm like this, I'm noticing a bit more than I typically would in yeah, other films. So I like, like I said, I have a weird relationship in the sense that I just like, it's not that I didn't even notice it. Cause like, even when you're talking about those shots, I'm like, oh yeah, I can think of a specific time. The camera does that, which you're alluding to like all of that. Like I like it is there and it's, you know, Scorsese is, is nothing if not unique in his camera work and all that stuff. It's just like, I, I, I always, I, it's not that I even have a hard time with it. It's just like, it, it is kind of, like I said, it's just like, I, I just, I, for some reason, it's one of those things where I like, I always like try to critically take a look at cinematography at, you know, camera at editing and all that stuff. And like the exceptional ones, like I thought Oppenheimer recently was like one that used cinematography and specifically editing to like, some of the best degrees I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Like, but like, besides that, if we're not talking about a film that does it like to a way that I'm just so like noticing it, mm -hmm. then I kind of always just give it the pass in a way that I just don't notice it. Like, and Fair that's enough. like, yeah, like I just, I, I you know, it's just like, I don't study, it's never something I've studied. <laughs> Totally fine, man. Uh, I only got to take one film class in college, so uh, I am still very much a novice when it comes to talking about uh, certain technical aspects of it that I've learned along the way as far as like just enjoying movies and kind of getting more into the realm of like film festivals, word season, all that jazz. Um, so you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. no, totally. Like I said, it is a fun like element of this movie that I, I wish that I could speak more on. It, it's just one of those things that I'm like, you know, th there's only so much I uh, have studied of film history that I like, you know, 
that's the complicated relationship that I have with film. And it's also one of my favorite things about film is that like everything, everybody brings something to film yep. and we all notice different things like about film. Uh, I guess before we kind of wrap this up, I should just ask you the question, uh, like, you know, this is a movie for Scorsese that he has a lot on his plate and a lot that he wants to say. But at the end of this conversation, do you feel like you've said everything you need to say about this movie? So I think I would just end with, you know, I believe that we are made and we're all made in the image of God and therefore, and God is a storyteller and therefore all of the art we make is stories, you know, mm -hmm. and that it is a part of this grand narrative of God's continuing narrative. So I love when... I love when you have prolific directors want to tackle something like faith and spirituality. And I don't, and not, and it doesn't always have to be in the sense of like, this is a specific Christian film being made. Like, no, some of like the best like uh, directors who happen to be Christian often work in like the horror genre because it's such a unique uh, aspect to deal with like the spiritual and the demonic, like warfare out there versus like the things that we're terrified by like I am I'm happy that somebody prolific like Martin Scorsese made this film unfortunately it did not connect to me with me the way that um I hoped it would or kind of leaned in more into the what if elements because I've seen him tackle these kind of things before in so mm. many of other films of his so I was a little disappointed by that but at the same sense Martin Scorsese if you ever want to talk I'd love to chat with you <laughs> so we you can just answer my questions about this and what you're going to bring to your next uh Jesus film that you plan on doing I think it's such a unique like pattern that he does you know he does like yeah. something kind of more spiritual or like something something kind of violent and uh you know complex morally gray characters and then he'll do something a bit more spiritual and then he'll just kind of go up and down like that so um, yeah it's it's one of my favorite things that directors do just to wrap up this conversation is like i love when a director has an itch and they just keep returning to it and then like they make a movie and they're like this is that like I, that itch is closed like i'll never make it again and then in like 10 years later they're like I, I kind of need to explore this again. Like it's kind of that unhealing wound. And like, certainly like a lot of directors have this Scorsese uh, typically has been faith, uh, but he has also done it a few times with even violence uh, Spielberg, like, uh, uh, like divorce, like a child of divorce. Like that's something he just cannot get rid of Wes Anderson being like somebody who has like, you know, father issues. Like that's like a running theme. That's like the, that's when I find movies the most rewarding is when I can watch this. And this is probably my history brain of this all is watching a movie and watch, you know, watching it and just being like, that's the evolution of something like that is somebody exploring something through decades of decades of work. Uh, and you mentioned like, you know, it kind of just ties in today. I want to give the, just kind of the quick, like, RIP, like, you know, we lost William Friedkin today, the director of such films as The French Connection and The Exorcist. Like, that is a movie that is fundamentally exploring, maybe not exactly the same things that Scorsese ex is exploring in Last Temptation of Christ, but certainly is another 
person exploring faith and spirituality and what that all means in the context of a horror film. Uh, so that I just want to give that quick shout out, an incredible director. So sad that we lost him. But with that all said, Meredith, I think we can kind of put the put the last temptation of Christ to rest for now. And I have a few questions before we leave. Awesome. The first question is, I'm, I, I'm trying to think which one I want to ask you first. Let's let's start with. Let's go with the actor alive who you would like to see in a Martin Scorsese movie. Ooh, okay. So I would love for Mar uh, Martin Scorsese to work with uh, Viola Davis, um, Meryl yes. Streep, which she does. She has said that they were supposed to work together and she regrets not working with him. This is the time. Get Meryl. Call up Meryl. Let's make it happen. Um, but as far as like outside of the legendary actresses such as them, mm. I think somebody it would be cool to watch him work with would be Paul Mescal. Um, sure, yeah. I really, I was just introduced to him because of After Sun, and there were certain scenes of him in After Sun where I was like, you have such an intensity about you, and I feel like Martin Scorsese, like, has worked with like younger actors and really brought them in like in that intensity and so I would love to see the two of them work together like he's Paul's now working with Ridley Scott so like Scorsese call him up I feel like he would jump at the chance to work with you um but those were like the main ones answer. that come to mind I like that answer a lot I was like I was I always like when I'm because I answer this question every time I do uh, an episode as well. So I, that's also my challenge of trying to think of 30 different actors or, or actresses to do it. I, I I stuck with the theme of Willem Dafoe in this movie. And I'm like, who do I want to be in a movie like this? Or not necessarily like Last Temptation, because nothing's exactly like Last Temptation. But who could I see doing some really interesting work uh, that I haven't listed? And I was going to answer one person and i was like i can't answer him because of the shirt that i'm wearing and the fact that i had jeff snyder on a few weeks ago for the departed and he already stole this answer but i did have gyllenhaal and then i'm like you know what i can't wear i'm wearing the taylor swift shirt i can't do it today you're like, saying that, that, his name to... while wearing that know, shirt pretty, how dare pretty... you yeah i know <laughs> especially after listening being graced with all too well for 10 minutes and then saying the name Jill i know it's it's bad of me so I'm, I'm going to eliminate that answer. And I'm going to say Robert Pattinson Ooh, is my answer. I, yes. I, I'm, you know, he starred alongside with Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse yes. in a bizarre performance. I, there's something about like, I, when I'm like picking answers, I love to pick actors and actresses who are brave, essentially, like where I'm just like, they'll kind of do anything in service of the film they're making. And Pattinson has always had that degree of him, especially I think the past five, 10 years of his filmography is like layered with performances that are just so offbeat, so unnatural, so unnerving, and so like comedically dashing, charismatic. Like I'd love to see Scorsese use all the tools of Pattinson to just yeah. bring out a performance that is just unique. 
I love that. And now I am equally like, okay, call up Pattinson. He's got time between now and the Batman too. Like, let's make it happen. Yeah, I was like, it's just like, he's a guy that is just like, and I'd also try to think of it in like the context of all Scorsese films. And I'm just like, you know, he's made like so many films and like there's so many Scorsese films that he's, uh, that Scorsese has made that I'm just like, it'd actually be pretty easy to just slot him in. Like, I'm just like, he could have been in this movie. He could have been in that movie. Like there's so many avenues that I feel like he could be in. So Pattinson's my answer. My second question for you is, actor who is no longer with us who you would have liked to see in a Scorsese movie when they were alive and it doesn't have to be relevant to the decades that Scorsese has been working Catherine Hepburn Ooh, really good answer yeah yeah I mean I love Kate Blanchett playing her in the aviator but like I want to see I would have loved to see Martin Scorsese work with Catherine Hepburn. I feel like that would have been an excellent combo. Yeah, no, I really like that answer a lot. And I I have my answer for this to, I want to make sure, oh my gosh, have I answered with this guy before? I'm now starting to think that I've used him as my answer before. So I'm going to have a backup name just in case. <laughs> I... And again, I am the product of the movies that I watch. And I'm like recently watching Oppenheimer. And then that led me to rewatch JFK. Mm-hmm. I was just like, John Candy is an actor that I wish did more uh, dramatic performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was like this candy element, but I'm now starting to think I might've actually just answered candy on my last episode. So maybe I'll hold back on that. And I'll just go someone a little bit more modern, who it's just the case of, I think he would have worked with Scorsese if he, like, you know, was still alive. Chadwick Boseman would have been, like, I mean, like, the best actor of his generation, like, who only got 10 years and, like, made a hell of a career out of that. Like, there is certainly an element where I'm just like, you give Boseman the lead of a Scorsese movie, in any role, like you're just like, this guy would have knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, I just, I think that would have been so special. And I think it, we would have just looked at that and we would have been like Bozeman. Cause you know, Bozeman was like, one of my favorite things about Bozeman is that he would make movies like Black Panther. And then he would also do very specific character drama pieces, like taking a medium sized role in a Spike Lee movie. Like that was just one of his best aspects was he was just a kind of amazing picker of movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be mine. And then with that all said, I'm still saving my answer. I will be revealing my top five during the Irishman episode, which get ready for that. That will have uh, critic uh, Keith Phipps will be joining me for the Irishman. But so I'm not revealing my top five today, but Meredith, I did ask you to come up with the exercise What is your top five Scorsese? All right. I'm going to breeze through these. So number five, King of Comedy. Number four, Hugo. Number three, Silence. Number two, Raging Bull. And before I say number one, I have to preface, this list is flawed because I still have not seen Taxi Driver and I still haven't seen Goodfellas. So 
I'm not a real Scorsese fan, guys. I'm <laughs> so sorry. Um, but my number one pick is The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it is. That's such an awesome movie. Like, I, I, I'm like, I, I don't want to spoil that episode yet because I haven't recorded it. I, I will just say right now, like, I, I, I've, I've had this theory, right, with Scorsese, where it's like sometimes it's like the earliest movie that you have a memory of with him is like sometimes the movie you hold dearest. Yeah. And like Wolf of Wall Street is like really the first time I like, like realized that I was going out to a movie theater to see a Martin Scorsese movie. Mm-hmm. And like, so there is a specialness to that one I love. And I, I can't wait. I cannot wait for that episode, Wolf of Wall Street. I can't wait to listen to that episode because it's I like also adore like a, it. It's one of those fun, fun things where, you know, you and I are a little bit younger than a lot of my guests have been at this point. Like, so, you know, they're a little bit older when they see Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. We're like the prime, like, fundamental years, at least specifically for me. I think I'm like 15 when that movie mm-hmm. comes out. And I've, I've talked about it like that is so fundamentally a movie that I just find interesting and like everything about that trailer. Like I remember watching, I, Oh man, that trailer hit. And I was like, I'm in, I, I don't even know the full concept of this, but let's do it. I I don't like, I don't know if anyone who like, wasn't like around our age, like understands how fundamentally important that trailer is. Like it is ingrained. Like it kicks off Leonardo DiCaprio doing narration and then black skinhead by Kanye West just hits so yes. loud there's drugs there's money flying around it was so fast-paced edited you get jonah hill like swallowing goldfish like it was oh just gosh. so exciting like that trailer it was, was electric it was, it was electric the most exciting thing i had ever seen in my life was like that playing at that point with the wolf of wall street and leonardo dicaprio ending the trailers like was any of this illegal absolutely really? effing not yeah, it was it was incredible time. Uh, okay. But that is I, I, I shouldn't get into the Wolf of Wall Street uh, <laughs> because we'll get to that. But anyway, Meredith, thank you so much for being on this show. I hope to have you back for a maybe more I don't want to say normal movie, but at the very least, like maybe we could have you back when I do another of these series and we could talk a hopefully a movie that you enjoy a lot more. I Yes, I would love to come back. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yes, this was like kind of, you know, heavier subject matter and stuff, but I still, you know, I still got a lot out of this. And honestly, like hearing you have such um, a more positive experience of it has allowed me to kind of look through and think about this film in a different lens as well. So like, that's what I love about this, you know? Yeah, can... it's my it's my favorite thing about film as well. Meredith, where can the people find you? Yeah, uh, the people can find me on Twitter or called X, whatever it's called these days. On, it may uh, not be around by the time. We're recording this on August time. 7th. Elon may just fully have imploded the site. Exactly. So you can find me on most social media Definitely not, but I'm not on TikTok. Sorry. Um, at Meredith Loftus, you can find uh, my work, uh, some of my written work at Collider, Next Best Picture, and Marvelous Geeks. I used to have a podcast called Fangirl Forum. All of my episodes are still up. So if you want to hear me like 
get into the weeds about why the Mamma Cinematic Universe should be born or like going through the entire discography of Taylor Swift minus Midnight's. I'm so sorry. Um, check that out. Uh, yeah. Perfect. And the links to all of that will be in the description below. Meredith, thank you for joining me today. My name is Ben Friedman here from the Beniverse Movie Channel. One day I will think of what I will call this series so I can assign it off uh, properly. Until this day, it's still called the Scorsese series. It won't be that by the time you hear this episode. Thank you all so much for watching. Take care and bye-bye.